for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And I'm so pleased to be here with you in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to be welcoming you to this evening's Points of View program. This is Wednesday, May 6th, 2015. And this is the final Points of View program for the 82nd repertory season of San Francisco Ballet. And I'm very much looking forward to the fact that there will be an 83rd season and it's going to be very exciting. I hope you've enjoyed the 82nd season as much as I have. That's okay. Appreciation is always good. One of the um, things that has been very special about this season is we have celebrated Helgi Thomason, artistic director and principal choreographer, um, Helgi Thomason's 30th season with San Francisco Ballet. One of the highlights of the season, of course, is this production on Program 8 of his spectacular Romeo and Juliet. The Center for Dance Education continues to produce these programs, the Points of View, Meet the Artist, a number of other programs for adults, and of course many for children. You can find out all about them on the ballet's website, sfballet.org, and I encourage you of course to go there where you can learn all kinds of wonderful things. There are videos, there's information about activities, about upcoming events, about next year's season, and about, and you can find podcasts of programs such as this one and the other points of views and the other Meet the Artist programs that were recorded for podcast. And that being said, I'd like to welcome anyone who might be listening via podcast on the website. I'd also like to give a very warm welcome to the uh, members of the Friends of San Francisco Ballet, the Christensen Society, and the Chairman's Council. We, your support and your generous contributions, of course, make exquisite productions like Romeo and Juliet possible. So on behalf of the entire San Francisco Ballet Association, thank you. And all of us can say thank you to those generous donors. <clears throat> Three more minor points of housekeeping, if you will. You're getting down to the last chance to purchase your lookbook, the lovely volume of photographs of the dancers and of the productions, staff, lovely articles. They're on sale in the boutique on the mezzanine, of course, before the performance and during the intermissions just for the rest of this week. So I hope you will have got your lookbook and you've been collecting dancers' signatures. In another two or three weeks, we have the San Francisco Ballet School Student Showcase, a perennial favorite, very popular. Further information about the exact dates and how to get tickets is to be found on the website, perhaps in the lobby, um, I hope. And you should act soon because it always sells out, a very popular event in the next couple of weeks. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, next season has been announced, promises to be exciting. And now to, I'm sitting on my clicker, I just realized. <laughs> Getting down to 
the fun stuff. Uh, it's my real pleasure to be in conversation this evening, and not just in conversation, but to be uh, watching some show and tell with Martino Pistone, known more affectionately to us as Marty Pistone, <laughs> who has, is known to us as the Duke of Verona in... It's the prince, it's the prince. Is it the prince? It's the prince. As right. my wife calls me. Yes. I don't know where I got the Duke. The Prince of Verona. But perhaps more specifically, as the fight director, the fight choreographer in collaboration with artistic director and choreographer Helgi Thomason. Marty has trained in multiple disciplines, including boxing and wrestling, competitive fencing, Taekwondo and Aikido. He received an MFA from American Conservatory Theater, ACT, has extensive teaching and choreography credits ranging internationally, is the recipient of the prestigious Patty Crane Award for Excellence in Fight Direction from the Society of American Fight Directors. What an interesting subset of in the world of theater. If you need help at home, we come to your house and we'll direct your fights too. <laughs> Not a problem. So uh, when we, we've got, uh, and just if you've already seen Romeo and Juliet, I know that you have all kinds of curiosity about how the fights come to be. If you haven't seen it yet, it's, you're just right down there in the streets and it's pretty exciting. Before we get into Romeo and Juliet specifically, I'm interested in knowing just a little bit about the work you do in, throughout the theater world oh. in general and, and about this subset of specialty. <laughs> As a POV, I'm, I'm here without my wife's supervision. So uh, anyway, um, yes, I've been in theater a long time as an actor for 38 years, been in, the, in this business. Um, Started out in uh, Chicago, Illinois. I knew you were out there. I knew it. And I roved around. I'd worked in New York City and I worked in Los Angeles in film, uh, doing stunts and working with uh, certain stars. Uh, anybody see Zorro? The Mask of Zorro? That's, that's me dying. Anthony Hopkins kills me. They kill me a lot. You just don't always see the face. Um, <laughs> And so I've worked in the, extensively in theater. Yes, I teach. Uh, I've taught at many schools in New York City and, of course, here in our wonderful city of San Francisco. I teach at Stanford, Berkeley Rep. I work at ACT and uh, on my own. I now teach uh, on camera besides this craft because uh, I've been in film for quite a long time and I ended up working down in Los Angeles not just as an actor, but as an assistant director for film and television for many years. So I've been on both sides of the mm -hmm. camera. Uh, this is where my heart is, of course, uh, the theater. And yes, ballet is theater <laughs> to me. And I've always been a ballet, big ballet fan. Uh, just to show you how far back I go, I was 12 years old. I got a ticket. I took a bus to the 11th Street Theater in Chicago, in case anybody knows, and I saw Nureyev dance. Mm. 
And, you know, in my neighborhood, you don't go to the ballet and go see Nuria dance. <laughs> but I didn't care. I, I loved the physical attributes. I loved the movement. And uh, to me, it's just astounding what the physical body can do. So that's been my mm -hmm. train, training and where I am apt to go. I studied that. And while I was going to the Art Institute of Chicago where I was a sculptor, and so I went to the theater, anybody from Chicago knows the Goodman Theater before it was DePaul, and I would go there and watch the plays. And to me, that box was moving sculpture. I was really interested, and that's how I basically mm -hmm. kind of got the interest. Mm -hmm. And then with my athletics, you know, I was always rough and tumble kid, and uh, went to college, University of Wisconsin, fencer, football player, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, this has always been a, a, a path for me. And then putting it together with, you know, the right things fell into place. And uh, I've had some great mentors and uh, people that have taught me. And so I've, I've moved into this, this profession. And here, of course, I get to, the, to play with the San Francisco Ballet. Uh, thank you to Helgi Thomason, who has... Uh, allowed me to come here since 1994. I've been doing this ballet with him, and uh, we've very good friends, and, and uh, believe me, it's, it's been a pleasure to work with world-class dancers, and probably one of the best, if not the best, ballet company in the world. We are circling around to the actual fighting and actual um, Let's go. <laughs> peace, but I do want you to say a little bit about uh, the collaboration that I am trying okay. to imagine. You, um, Helgi is the dancer, he's the choreographer. Mm -hmm. You are the fight specialist, mm -hmm. and how, do, how did you collaborate to move the action forward? Well, uh, can I just briefly sure. give you a little history? Uh, please. So, in New York City, uh, before the computer age, I sent out 500 resumes and letters, <laughs> and one person answered. San Francisco Ballet. I came out here. Uh, I met Helgi Thomason in New York City after I studied him at the Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library. He didn't know that. So I watched him as a young dancer, and I kind of got a drift of where he was going, Balanchine and, and his classical ballet, and then I had some other ideas about theater and the realism that we try to, to bring out. And when he asked me to come, he was, at the New York, he was in New York, and I went to see him, and I introduced myself, and I picked up some Icelandic words, and I introduced myself in Icelandic, and he started to laugh. <laughs> and he goes, so, where did you learn that? <laughs> and I told him, my girlfriend, Lotta Sundberg. <laughs> Anyway, um, that kind of broke the ice with us. And then he said, well, how do you see it? And I said, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a dichotomy, if we had your beautiful classical ballet matched up with the stage combat uh, semi-realism? And, and so it was a contrast in, in, in styles. So when the fights break out, it's a whole different uh, movement which accentuates the illusion of violence that you see between these two families. And that's how we played it. And he said, let's give this a shot. And we worked together, and I brought in stuff. Of course, I, you know, I had to score the music, had to be scored, and I worked with my friend Rose, and 
who, Rose Hauer, who actually helped me, mm -hmm. and we went through the music, and each, each piece was choreographed. Every strike was on a certain timing, rhythm, and I went through the, the whole score like that. And uh, I usually, I'll show you when they get up here, I usually, I did the, the fights in, on a two-eighth beat instead of on the beat, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So that gave the fighters a little bit more, let's say, sloppy slack to cover themselves or to act in between the timing. So, because the music doesn't stop. On stage, if something goes wrong and there's no music, you can stop the lines and just kind of retreat and then get back in the fight. But when you're yeah. fighting on, with Prokofiev, you don't have that pleasure. <laughs> you, you gotta keep going. Anyway, uh, so I trained them. Helgi had me out here for two months and I trained all his dancers in 1994 and to this day in the genre of what I do. Just like the ballet has genre, I have a genre. But remember, fencing, then ballet. <laughs> so the positions are almost the same. His, his first are my on guards. So they had to learn foot position, they had to learn hand position, and instead of the releve and re rising up, you'll see the ballet dancers sink down into their center and fight from here. There's nobody fights up here. It's more grounded. So you'll see the grounding when you watch the fights and how grounded that is and how they move. Okay, and that's how we started getting it together. And he liked that dichotomy and he encouraged me more. And then I started working with the crowd. Uh, he let me help uh, orchestrate the crowd through the fights and uh, help him out through that process also. So what we did is we since this is a story ballet, we worked on the acting of the, the acting component of the people who are actually in the ballet, too, so they have a purpose. All actors have to have a, a, an objective or a want or an action that they're playing, so then you have more depth in your ballet instead of just somebody just standing around, standing there with nothing to do. So we worked it together and worked the crowd together, and uh, he's been gracious enough to trust me with his ballet, and uh, I feel very privileged that he allows me to do this work. I really do. That's a perfect segue to us looking at the images we do have, just a few to tease you. Of course, here we are um, in our little title shot with Marty as the Prince of Verona. And Helgi made me do this, by the way. Um, the fabulous ballroom. The wonderful nurse with um, Juliet. Uh, Juliet here is Sarah Van Patten, and the nurse is Anita Pachotti. One of the things I can't resist inserting here is what how rich the character dancers are in our company. We have a very deep panel of dancers who have matured, retired from um, classical performing, and become just beloved and uh, there are acting acting our arts, acting yeah, base yeah which moves the story right. along this is a story ballet um, and then there are the tricksters here are the acrobats who provide divertisement the moment when romeo and juliet meet i believe got a little bit of a light in my eye but i I think that's the balcony pot of it, isn't it? Yes, that's the balcony yeah. pot of it. And... I think that's Paris. I think that's Paris. Or her mother, no, that's, that's, uh, that's Lady Capulet. Yes, With yes. her daughter. 
another moment for a great character dancer, oh, yes. actress dancer. And is that the one? That this is uh, after. This is the death of Tybalt. As you can see, I'm right over here, but standing over Tybalt, there's uh, Gaetano Amico, who is going to come out and demonstrate. He'll be one of our demonstrators, and he's an excellent fighter. And uh, he also will be playing Tybalt this Saturday matinee. Great to know. And one of the great dance moments, and this is Maria Kochikova. That's Carlos. The, the death scene. Death scene. And how did those get in there? We're looking at get in there. These are the weapons. Swords. And uh, what we did was we looked in the history books and we found the uh, period pieces and what they looked like at the time, and we had these replicas made. The swords are real. They they they're steel. There's no there's you don't play with rubber. It's for real. Mm. And then this this is a this is the beginning fight between two boys. Uh, this gentleman right here is Sean Orza, who's also going to come out and demonstrate for us. And you can see Sean. And there's an interesting story about Sean. In the ballet, if you're going to see it tonight, uh, there'll be uh, some small uh, young men, very young boys, who are playing with wooden swords during the second act, first and second act. And I've taught them how to maneuver the sword. Well. I've known Sean since he was one of those boys. And I knew his brother, too. And Sean is just not only a, a great swordsman, but a brilliant dancer. That's great. I, as many of our loyal audience know, our heritage and how it is passed down is one of my very favorite um, elements. And so to mm -hmm. hear that story is just such a it's so charming to know that that's how it's passed on. Yes, we have a lot of kids that came yeah. from the school that come right up here to this, right. this, uh, this dance floor. That's fantastic. Board. Well, is this a good segue? This would be a great segue for me to get on. All right, <laughs> so, so let's um, invite our dancers. Let's invite our two friends out. Sean, Guy, you guys, here they come. The first thing we're going to do here, um, you have a lot of people and a lot of dancers, and to teach them, teach them different things is, is kind of complicated. So what I've done is I've created four phrases, four phrases that everybody learns, and then we use that in different combinations. So then if dancers come in, it's easier to teach, and everybody knows these combinations, so things can be changed quickly, and they understand them. So we're just going to go through the four combinations with you. So combination one. Gentlemen, uh, wait a minute, hold it. May I please have some lighting here? Gentlemen, a little more light on stage, please. A little higher. They're working on it right now. They're working on it. Okay. I might get in trouble. Uh, yeah, lighting is important when you're trying to see these things. <laughs> uh, these, are, these, these swords here are replicas, but they were rapier and dagger, I should mention. And the rapier was a cutting, thrusting instrument. And it was a little bit longer than this and a lot thicker. Everybody's seen the Three Musketeers. And basically, it's for hacking and stabbing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the other thing here, this is called a parrying dagger. And in those days, everybody sees those, those great movies where you see Errol Flynn, they're hitting sword on sword. <laughs> nah. 
they tried to avoid hitting sword on sword because these things were expensive. It's like if you want to buy a Porsche at that time. There you go. And just think of your edge being very, very sharp and you hitting another edge. What do you think could happen with steel? Chipped, right? Dent, and then it becomes dull and it becomes useless. So what they would do is they would parry with this dagger and then hit you with the sword. So I'd parry here and stab or cut here. All right, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to do um, the first phrase. And we also put the movement in it where they go back and forth. So it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, well, I, I, I instilled that movement in them so we have more movement on stage. So gentlemen, would you mind doing phrase one? Okay, that was an envelopment. Now they have to learn all sorts of, of positions for the sword. Uh, sometimes we teach it in French. You know, primaire, you know, uh, tears, cart. Uh, but here, I, I taught it all in English. So, because it was easier for me to go, hey, put it here. All right, just the way I am. You know, Chicago, we're pretty abrupt. All right, can we do uh, phrase two? We call this high-low. Okay, what you saw there is a deceive. Show him the deceive one more time. As he thrusts to his shoulder, you see sword, he deceives him and comes back around. The other thing is a head cut. When we do a head cut, uh, for safety reasons, we have a, a formula. It's called preparation, reaction, action. So he, if he doesn't react, he doesn't throw it. It's very important. And if they do it fast enough, go ahead. really can't see the difference, but he can't throw it. He's looking right at his face, and he's cutting where his head was. So as he brings his, his head down, that's where his head was. Because if you look at him as he's going down, it's like driving a car. What are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to follow him. So this is, this is a discipline that they have to learn. Phase three. Good. That's number three. And four. This is a quicker pace. This is on the rhythm. Those are called reposts. When they hit, go back. You've seen this in uh, Errol Flynn movies. One, two, one, two, one. We call them tatas. <laughs> Just going back and forth hitting the sword. They're all called reposts. These are all terms from actual fencing, fencing schools, but we're different. This is not competitive fencing. This is theatrical fencing. Even though we have the same terms, we don't, because if anybody's ever seen a fencing mass match, uh, how much have you seen of it? It just goes, eh. What the heck happened? You really can't see it, it's not that fast. So we slow it down for the audience. Now, uh, how we do this is I'll take a phrase like the first phrase, and we'll change the rhythm, okay? So that we'll do uh, one, two, three, uh, one, two, and then one, two. The rhythm goes here. One, two, three. Back up. One, two. And one. There you go. So now, it's, even it's a simple phrase, just by changing the rhythm, you change the picture. 
Now, if we want to put this all together, like we're going to do the four, four phrases for you in sequential order, but we're going to put transitions in. We add little things to, 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 bring, to put them together, all right? So why don't we do the whole fight for them, guys? Can easily move. Those are evasions. Another evasion. And then after that, we can decide who dies. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, like I said, everyone has the basic, and then I, we take them out of sequence, we put them in different, so you're gonna actually see these same phrases. You'll see bits and pieces of them in the, in the, in the ballet, and you can figure out, is that the one, phrase one, phrase two? We'll give awards out for people who can actually see them. Isn't that right? We're gonna give, no, that isn't right, that's wrong. Okay, sorry, it's, it's wrong. Anyway, thank you, gentlemen. Give my friends a hand. Thanks. They'll be working tonight. Those two um, have worked together a lot. Worked together in the choreography. What ha I mean, in in a in a cast. Yes. What I meant. Uh, what happens if one of them goes out, gets the flu? Well, that's the beauty of knowing the pieces of phrases. First of all, it's easier to learn, but I have covers for every single dancer. Every single fighter has what they call a cover, just like every dancer has a cover. I mean, you're gonna see Mercutio out here, the, uh, the actor, uh, the dancer who's playing Mercutio. There'll be one here, just in case. There's always a, because this is live, mm -hmm. and anything could happen. God forbid, you know, we don't want anything to happen. But, you know, some people get, you know, could be ill or they can't be caught in traffic, as we all know, <laughs> or they can't make it. But I have covers for everybody. And so everybody learns uh, three or four fights so they can fit in everywhere. That sounds like a lot of rehearsing. And that's why the phrases make it simpler okay. and easier to understand. Okay. And w they can watch these. I have them all on tape for them. They can go into the rehearsal room. They can see the fight. Every fight is numbered, Every, and all the music is there. They can actually hear the accents in the, when, I, when I videotaped this mm -hmm. uh, for, with the ballet, we videotaped it with the music, so they, and I did it in slow motion so they can actually see the pieces. And that's how they learn the choreography if I'm not around. But I've, we've had a lot of rehearsing, and Helgi brings me in early, and I train these people, I've trained these guys in December, because dancers turn over, they leave, or, or and, and then I have new dancers, and then we have the, the school. Sometimes we go down to the school and teach the young boys the genre right away, mm -hmm. and they start to understand it. So by the time they get here and become trainees, they're, they're pretty well versed in the, in the sword world, too, if they wanted to do this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, Romeo and Juliet. There are, you know, a lot of other ballets where swords are used, and Cyrano, all sorts of. Of course, I'm blanking at the moment. Um, when we are getting ready for every single performance, if I happen to walk across the stage at quarter to the hour, yeah. I'm listening to the stage manager say, clear for the fight warm up. 
Yes, there's so. always a, there's always a fight call. The 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 main <coughs> my job my main job is to keep every one of these people safe. Doing this, mm -hmm. that's that's my first concern always. You know, you don't want to lose anybody. You don't want anybody getting hurt. It's not like somebody's going to die, but there you know you can get a good welt or something. So we try to keep it really safe, and that's my main objective. <laughs> so. Uh, before every show, they do a fight call. We call a fight call. And they walk the fight. This just refreshes people, and just in case, like you said, if somebody drops out and somebody has to drop in, they have a new body to work with, mm -hmm. they start to understand. Because as you can see, distancing, these guys are good at it, but distancing can close, where it can get a little more dangerous, or distancing can be far away. There's a lot of uh, things to watch out for. A dancer can, what I call, do the choreography and crescendo. That means they get faster and faster, which is what we try not to do. We have to stay with our music, mm -hmm. or they, get, they may slow down. So they're keeping pace. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of made me think of something, which is every major ballet company does a, a version of Romeo and Juliet. And so we look at the fight scenes, mm -hmm. and it made me wonder, have you ever choreographed another version of this? Well, yes, for Shakespeare in the Park, Joe Papp in New York, and, uh, and for the Seattle uh, Pacific Coast Ballet. Uh, if any, uh, the, uh, the Mr. Stowe up there, Christopher's right, right, dad, Chris, right, and I went up old. there and choreographed for him. And I, of course, I don't bring the same choreography. That was going to be where that this was is leading. Yep. Yeah. And also now, the um, Pacific Northwest Ballet one does not use the Prokofiev music. No, they don't. So that wasn't even confusing. No, it's not confusing yeah. at all. It depends. You know, I, I, but like I said, when I'm ever I'm, I'm with a, a choreographer like Helgi, mm -hmm. I, he tells me what he would like, and then I bring my creativity and his creativity together and try to make sure that the, the artistic director has his vision. It's, you know, I have my pride and I bring my ideas to it, and he either trusts them or he doesn't, but my whole job is to make sure that his vision comes okay. to fruition. And uh, there's no room for, you know, well, I've never been accused of having too much ego. One of the things that, this <laughs> might be a nice transition to this, uh, that we always enjoy doing is getting questions from our audience. And I have, there's a little choreography involved. As you know, there's this microphone right down at the foot of the aisle in front of the orchestra rail. And my hope is that you have been thinking of questions and that you will move over to that mic in the aisle. That helps us to hear you and also for the recording so that we'll be able to know what the questions were. So at this time, please make your way to the microphone so that we can um, answer questions you might have. I, there have to be many that were stimulated by watching this. Let's see, There's and you're one. thinking yeah. of a car that you had. Wait a minute. <laughs> There's a blonde in your life. Am I getting close? No. Right, sorry. Your question. Ever have mistakes? Was somebody forgot what they are supposed not. to do and someone gets hurt? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yes, of course. Uh, we have uh, different ways of being safe, of course, and yes, that has happened. And the best thing to do is remember that it's a performance, not your life. <laughs> Don't be too dangerous with it. But uh, when this happens, which sometimes you miss a parry, they know the music. The dancers know the music so well, they're instructed to go, first of all, check their distance, and then go on to the next move. Don't try to recover the old move. We don't have time. The music keeps going. Mm 
-hmm. So uh, you know, if you have to come out a little bit, that's why I have, uh, everything is built on a 2-8. One and two, one and two, one and two. It's a little sloppy there, so they can put either their impression or their artistic flair or their acting involved in it. And also, it's a safety valve in case that exactly happens. And it's happened. I can only imagine. Your question? Yes, um, I'm sure you've seen West Side Story. Could you say something about the fight scenes in that? They use uh, the knife and the staggering around and the tumbling around. Which, 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 which production? Um, all right, let's say the My movie. Life? You want My Life? Is that the, what <laughs> Let's say the movie version, because okay. most people have seen that. Yes, of course. Uh, that's a whole dance version, and it's, it's still based on the same premise mm -hmm. of, uh, of uh, you know, the dance, but a slight reality edge. And, uh, yeah, I saw Jerome Robbins. I saw a lot of West Side Stories. I choreographed some West Side Stories. And, uh, yeah, the knife is a little more personal. And I'll tell you something, the hardest thing to make the, uh, the illusion of violence, the hardest, one of the hardest things to do is hand-to-hand -hand combat on stage. Mm -hmm. That's harder, because mm -hmm. you're closer and, you know, that mi you have to miss. <laughs> you know, if I hit the guy, what am I going to do? You know, run out of actors that way. But uh, it's still based on the same thing, preparation. <laughs> Reaction, action, the <coughs> knife moves, it's, it, it is, it's all choreographed. Everything I do for the stage is choreographed. You can't take those chances uh, when it comes to using weapons or someone's physical violence on stage. Okay, I do more than just that. I, um, you ever see Sleuth on stage? Um, here, uh, Maxwell Colefield and Stacy Keach. I taught Max how to fall down the stairs in a clown suit. Mm. I mean, those kind of things, and he does it every night. And when, I'm act when I was acting, I was on stage fighting uh, many years, and I fought, I was the sheriff of Nottingham, and, and uh, for 60 performances, I fell down two flights of stairs. But I knew what I was doing, but, you know, you just have to choreograph. Even the fall down the stairs is a technique. So um, West Side Story, just the sa it's the same. Uh, you know, working with the dancers, making sure everybody's ability is up to snuff. Because sometimes you get different dancers that don't have the physical ability. Uh, they're not, and they're not even dancers. Some are just actors working, and they have different abilities. And my job is to make them look good no matter what level they're at. Here, I have these, you know, moving gods <laughs> who can do anything, which makes it really exciting for me to, to put a piece together with these guys who are so apt at what they can do. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. There's another question. Great. Thank you. Hi there. I actually have two questions, one of which is um, when you're dealing with this equipment, how heavy are these swords and knives? And I guess a part of that question is, is what do the ballet dancers do to prepare so that they can adequately perform these movements, or it's, as you said, they're gods and they can just do anything. And I have another question. Well, well first, the, the, taking the latter, uh, rehearsal. <laughs> a lot of rehearsal. rehearsal. Uh, the swords that we use right here with epee blades, which are a lot lighter. When I first started the ballet, I used what they called a schlager blade. It was a little heavier and it was thicker. And you can actually see them pretty brightly on stage. It looked, it definitely looked like a rapier. It was a little heavy for them. So a lot of them, you know, the arm motion, and I'll tell you, being an ex-fencer, 
you can get, you know, that tennis elbow tendonitis and things. So we lighten the blades up for them, which is a lot easier. So they're really not, they're pretty balanced. And they're actually very easy to wield. Uh, can I get a sword? Uh, there's a Mercutio sword back there, if I can get one. It has a black handle on it. I'll show you one. I'll How much would you say it weighs? Uh, I would say it weighs about uh, two and a half pounds, maybe. Okay. It's not that, it's not the, that heavy. The other question I have, which you might want to deal with, is um, when you have a ballet dancer who's right-handed or left-handed, how do you deal with that? Well, um, I did have a left-handed dancer in 1994, Peter uh, Oh. And I actually choreographed the whole, his, all his fights where he fought a righty and a lefty. But uh, if you look back in the period, just for your information, what side is your heart on? Yes. Left side. So which side do you want to defend? My left side. Right. So even if you're left-handed, you didn't want to have your heart so they would no. learn how to fight this way. Even if you're left-handed, this was a protection. It's part of the deal. I got it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this is this is a really light blade. Uh, they do things like uh, you'll see guys doing moulinets, which mean in Italian, because I am one. It means windmill. Do all this fancy stuff with the sword. You know, it's a lot of fun, and it's really light and easy to do. Like I said, very balanced. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I have a question for you, if, because I'm not seeing anyone else right now in the queue. If I were a, a competitive fencer, I went to college and I was on the fencing team, and I came to the ballet, what would I think of the fencing scenes? <laughs> well, I'd hope they'd appreciate them for what they are. <laughs> Drama. Okay. I mean, when you go to a movie, mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, you're watching mm -hmm. Errol Flynn or anything like that. Uh, there's a, a fine movie out there uh, called The Duelist. It's an old movie. Oh, yes. And uh, it was done by uh, Hobbes. Uh, William Hobbes, who is like the Elvis Presley of what I do. And uh, he's passed away, but he did Three Musketeers. If you've seen those, the, th the first okay. three musketeers and all that fencing, you've seen uh, uh, many movies. I'm trying to think of the other one. Uh, Glenn Close was in it. Somebody help me. French. Glenn Close. Dangerous liaisons. Where's that oh. guy? Thank you. <laughs> Dangerous liaisons. It was a, a, the, the swords were different. They were shorter. They're called court swords, mm -hmm. and or and, and they're very. They're more like an ice pick. And they realize that I can hack your arm off and you'll probably live, but if I puncture an artery, you're going to die. And that's what they went for. They usually called that, those small swords, very quick, the chess game of death, because you wanted to thrust. And that's where the, you see the foil, uh -huh. and uh -huh. they're trying to hit you with the uh -huh. point. And then, of course, these epes in competition are for slashing, and they uh -huh. hit you on your <laughs> arm wherever your pad is. So uh, I would hope that they, they appreciate the dramatic. They can see some of their technique in here. But basically, a sword fight lasts about 30 seconds, mm -hmm. a real one. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. And some sword fights didn't last at all. The guys saw each other, and they, maybe they drew blood. They would actually duel, and they say, well, I, I apologize. He put his arm out. 
he cut him, they drew blood, he got his honor, and he went home. <laughs> I, I'm serious. <laughs> yes. Um, there's another couple of questions. Great. Hey, Marty. Yes. So one short, easy question, then one that I think is a little bit more, maybe more layered. Okay. And the first one is just the bucklers, which are just little. Mm -hmm. I assume they were little because you wanted to be able to move fast in sword fighting. But do you know historically where that came That's from? Exactly That's exactly what they are. They're, they're smaller, and sometimes you had to improvise. If you, like I said, these were expensive things. You, you, you got your weapons in battle most of the time by killing your opponent and taking his weapons. And uh, the buckler was an easier thing to find, an easier thing to build. And yes, it was a lot lighter because as, you know, you saw the big broadswords. I have those here too. The parents play with them. They were a little heavier and they weren't cutting instruments. Everybody thinks you can get cut with a broadsword. No, they were basically bludgeoning instruments because the guys were in tin cans and you had to beat your opponent to the ground, and now he's in a tin can and he's on the ground. Is he knocked out? Is he faking it? How do you kill somebody? I mean, that way. And they would take out what they called a rondello, which was a, their own ice pick, and they would put it in the chink of their armor. Put it through the eye, Oof. under the arm, kill it in the heart, and you'd have to actually commit murder. <laughs> you, you actually have to go down to the ground and kill this person. So um, that's, <laughs> that answers your question. I don't know, I got a little that dramatic was, in here, I'm sorry. That was very <laughs> colorful. And of course, if you had a buckler in your left hand, you would not have a dagger. No, you wouldn't have a dagger, but you'd still parry with it. And uh, we actually use the bucklers up here in a different way. You can get hit in the face with a buckler, it would hurt, and you watch the first move. Right. That's exactly what he does. Right. So my other question is this. I've been listening to you talk since 1994, and I remember... I recognize you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for coming back again. Oh, you're welcome. And especially since the... It, it, especially what I remember from early on is that both you and Helgi would talk about selecting guys to do the fighting who were very even-tempered. It was about temper. It wasn't temperament. And I wonder if that's still the case, or is everybody just so professional it's not an issue? Well, I think what we meant by tempered is that they could actually um, control their enthusiasm in a fight. Not that they were mean, or this made them more aggressive, uh, but uh, being able to, uh, to resist the, the music where the music comes faster. You actually have to keep your rhythm and even though the music, and you're, you know, you're swinging your sword in opposition sometimes. And you have to have somebody who has that focus and concentration and, and who can be, and also consideration for the other person. That when you're on stage and you're, and you're fighting with these or doing anything, even in dance, you, you have eye contact with your partner. You're working together to, to create this thing. And you don't want anybody who's maybe a little bit, uh, you know, who isn't paying attention mm -hmm. or is a little bit more inward about himself. They really have mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. have relationships and serious relationships because you're swinging these things at each other. Right. Does that help? That does help. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming back, by the way. <laughs> We're going to, to <laughs> just be able to take these last two questions and, and unfortunately... I got to go get dressed. Yeah. So... 
Yeah, I've, I'm sure most of the audience has seen this Romeo and Juliet production uh, by Helgi uh, many times, or a few times anyway. Thanks. And I had the pleasure of seeing it both uh, Saturday and Tuesday night. But I still think this looks really dangerous. So my question is, these two and a half pound sabers that you told us are real swords. Yes. Uh, I'm not talking about a, a really fast swinging blow that for some reason the guy didn't realize he didn't, the other person, you know, his opponent did not duck. But if there was like a thrust, and I've also seen your work in Berkeley Rep, by the way. I, I didn't know it was you, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm but, outed. But when, you know, if, if they hit a direct blow, would the blade just bend? No. No. We so actually keep going. We, we actually go offline, we call it. Okay. And if I were to, may I stab you? Of course. <laughs> and if I were to do this, and you have, this is a proscenium stage, so I have depth. So as I come here, and if you lift your arm up here, and I go here, quickly, I'm passing on the other oh, side of her body. Yeah, they, they always, yeah, go, I mean, typically they, they do go to the side, but if by, you know, I don't, you know, accidents do happen. If it was like... Straight on? Yeah. Well, that's why you hire me. Oh, <laughs> they don't wear bulletproof you vests hire or, me, so then I chain tell them, mail or anything. This is not okay. what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, it's, it's choreographed, and of course, I mean, uh, those things can happen. I've been very fortunate, to knock on wood, to have nobody hurt in my choreography, and that's my claim to fame, and I carry that badge. Don't have people hurt. Not, no well, that's great, but when I continue to look at your work, uh, it's going to still look dangerous to me, which well, is very dramatic. That's, it should, because it should make you suck air. <laughs> you should be going... Okay. <gasps> Okay, last question. Uh, my question is, uh, did you also uh, choreograph the Japanese katana uh, sword uh, fight scenes, and uh, what are the differences? Uh, yes, I have. And the difference is that uh, katana fight scenes are, depending on, uh, well, let's just say samurai sword. Mm -hmm. I, not necessarily the katana, but the, the actual samurai sword, which is a whole different technique completely, and a, a cultural Thing. So I study, I have to keep my, my studies high. That's why I took Aikido for a long time. It's really, Aikido is just a swordless art. But there's a way of gripping the sword. There's a way of thrusting the sword. They use what they call the, the momentum against the sword. So if someone hits my sword here, my next move is, is to come around here, is to use his energy to move the sword around and attack again. Sometimes the, it's thrusted and it's one thrust. When I usually do those, those Japanese uh, fights, if I, get, if I have the pleasure of doing them, they're over quickly, because they were. It's mostly a mind game. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some movies that uh, they actually did that with, The Last Samurai. You can see the two people standing here, and I guess the, the Seventh Samurai too. also. There's a, 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 just a, this is an, an antidote I may, if I may. Uh, there's a story about a barber who was, who uh, supposedly insulted a samurai, and the barber went to a samurai teacher and said, I have to fight this man, can you help me? And he says, well, first thing you're going to have to know is that you're going to die. <laughs> he says, there's nothing I can do, you're going to die, but I will teach you one move, one move, and if you practice this move, you will kill that samurai along with yourself but you will have honor. So he practiced this move for months, and he got so good at it in any position, it was just one 
move that he knew he could do. And he focused on that one move. And it came when the sword fight came and the duel came. The samurai walked out and the barber walked out. And the barber just focused on that one move. He was just going to do it. And the samurai, being who he is, looked at the barber, stopped, and apologized. He just, he knew, he could see it in his eyes. There's a sense in that. And that's, like I said, that's a cultural thing that I like, you like to bring to, the, bring to the piece. And whenever I get any kind of sword work, I go into my books. I study, I watch, I pay attention, I read. And I actually go to masters much better than me when it comes to uh, Japanese sword. And I will train with them or I will ask them questions. So I'm not beneath learning. I don't, you know, I'm not the master of everything. But I am a, a very curious fellow. And I have an, I believe I have an open cup. And it, you can always fill it up. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was lovely. Before we actually finally conclude, we do need to review quickly the choreography of exiting. I know that many of you are ticketed for this evening, and of course you can go out and right into the lobby. Uh, those of you who are just dropping in tonight will want to exit to your right and then make your way out so of the building. So you don't want me to choreograph the exit so nobody gets hurt? <laughs> Walk slowly and be cognizant of what's going on as you leave. Absolutely. Thank I, you very much, folks. And I thank you, Marty.